0: Hello everyone, welcome to Sound Perspective. Uh, Once again, it's your host, Alfred Faber. This episode, I'm talking to some of the people involved in a really great film that's screening at Sydney Film Festival this coming weekend. It's called Dark Place, and it's an anthology of five short horror films directed by indigenous filmmakers. Uh, They're all really tonally and thematically different, and each film is really interesting in its own way. But uh, it also stands really strong as a, you know, 77-minute long-form feature. Uh, My guests are Rob Braslin, who directed Veil Light, one of the shorts, and Sarah Pencilfini, one of the actresses from Veil Light. They're both from Hobart, Tasmania, and they were great fun to talk to. It's really awesome to see Indigenous Australian talent being supported and screened at one of Australia's best festivals. Um, The audio quality isn't the best in this one, as we recorded in a hotel room right in the middle of the city. Not an ideal location, but still a really great chat. hope you enjoy. So I'm here with Sarah Pensilfini. Wait. You got it. Yeah? First (laughs) go, man. And Rob Breslin uh, from... How, how do you pronounce the name of the Rob, short? Rob Brass. No, 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 no,
1: the short oh, from Vale Light.
0: Vale, I thought it, yeah. it might be Vale. Like. Well,
1: that was interesting that you say that because um, I actually wanted that that to happen. I wanted people to think it could go both ways because mm. Vale means goodbye, right? It's so goodbye light. Yeah. I thought it was a cool name as well. Oh, so I don't I, even think so. So Vale, is, it's set in a place similar, where I grew up called Clarendon Vale. Mm. So the name really just comes from that. But I was like, you know, that I'd been seeing that word pop up everywhere. Like people have been saying, like valet to like people who'd been passing it like, become very, mm. a lot more common to see in Facebook posts and stuff. Like,
2: yeah, but I always read it as veil, which is weird. Being yeah. European, you'd think I probably would pronounce it. I
1: someone, Mick Davies, one of my actor down in Hobart, pulled me up. He was like, oh, you know, you're actually saying that wrong. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? He goes, yeah, no, it's valet. And I'm like, oh, okay, veil then. Veil, veil light, valet. Goodbye light, mm. or clarinum veil. Well, wow, it sounds like a, a bee. <laughs> Can I get a Veil Light, please? So, um, your uh, Veil Light
0: is a short that's part of an uh, anthology of short horror films by Indigenous filmmakers mm. um, called Dark Place. Could you just give me
1: a brief summary of what Veil Light's about? Sure. You could probably do it better than me. Oh, all right. Um, it's about um, a young mother and her daughter who've been living really rough on the streets, and they've got their last chance at you know a house in, in a housing house, and they move in next door to a woman who's going to change their fate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to put it as vague as I could. Yeah. yeah. That's 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 it without giving anything away. Yeah. Who yeah. Sarah played the Sarah. The, Pennsylvania plays, yeah. uh, Sarah plays the, the lady next door. Yeah. Yeah, this creepy lady next door. Mm. Yeah.
0: Rob, can you j- tell me a bit about your kind of uh, history and
1: filmmaking and how you got to, where you, uh, to this point? Sure. Well, I s- started doing stand-up comedy. Mm. And down in Hobart, we have, you know, small, fun little film festivals that... Sarah's been a part of as well the 48 hour horror film challenge, which was put on by um, the Stranger with My Face Film Festival. Mm. I think
2: my daughter's won the year before Did actually, yeah. so it's not. I'm not that familiar with it, but yeah. my kids make um, a lot of horror films, and their father scores a lot of horror yeah. films. But
1: it was fantastic. It's fantastic because you have 48 hours to make a horror film. So I'd been doing stand up, and a couple of the comedians were signing up for a bit of a laugh, but then working with some like filmmakers and you know, who'd already got funding and stuff. So I just got roped into one because, you know, you team up with just some random people. Sometimes there's like a bit of a networking drinks leading up to it so you can find a team. But um, I was lucky enough that one of my comedy mates was like, yeah, join, whatever. I was like, cool. So I I starred in one and uh, I won Best Actor for that year. So that was kind (laughs) of cool. Like I never acted in anything ever and I sort of secretly wanted to do it. Top of doing stand-up, hanging out with all these other filmmakers, was in like an ad down home. Started getting more interested in film. I always loved film. Always been obsessed with movies. When uh, me and my friends catch up for, you know, drinks and watching movies at my house, I would always curate the films <laughs> and like yeah. they like just puts anything on, just like anything. And I'm like, no, we're watching this because of this and this mm. this this, yeah. and, you know, whatever it was. Even I could you know just ramble about RoboCop two or something, but <laughs> it was fun. It was really fun. So I was doing exactly what I wanted in terms of like acting and doing comedy. And it just led into making short films and weird sketches and, you know, then people sort of take, other filmmakers taking notice um, online mostly on Facebook and or YouTube and just saying, hey, man, that was really funny, you know. But, you know, as filmmakers are, they want to teach as well. They go, yeah, Yo, but you did this sort of wrong. You know, you should work on this next time. Come hang out on my film set and I'll show you how to do this. So, mm. yeah, that's where it sort of all started. Cool. Yeah, it led to what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, Sarah, what's your kind of history in the arts been?
2: Oh, I actually started when I was a very little girl. Um, I worked as an actor for ABCWA from about six years of age for TV and film. Um, actually, TV and radio mostly, I should say. So film was not um, something I'd done a lot of. Moving to Tassie as a teenager, I got more into the theatre side of things because there wasn't a lot of TV being made in Tassie back then. Um, thankfully, it's kind of burgeoning again now. Um, so, I've always been interested in acting and performing. Um, done a little bit of filmmaking myself, some direction, a little bit of co producing, but I do always enjoy um, uh, acting. Well, I enjoy all sides of it, but especially working with Rob, who's been a good friend of mine for a couple of years, and we've um, collaborated on a bunch of stuff. So, it was a really fun process to watch him in his kind of debut funded film and to be a part of it as well mm. yeah
0: the production of the film was by a uh, noble savage yeah. um now did they kind of uh curate the five films with the intention of making a long form or was it just kind of a collection of it a-
1: so the process started with an initiative through screen australia and abc mm. um called shock treatment and it was there was a call out online, and I'd been doing some short films down home. This is my story. Then I'm sure the other filmmakers have similar ones to that as well. But uh, I got ta- I had only been on like Facebook for like a week. Like I just signed up, and then one of our filmmaker friends down home, amazing filmmaker Beck Thompson, just tagged me in this post about shock treatment, and um, I got to go to come up here to Manly and mm-hmm. do this workshop mm-hmm. where I you know it's basically the the you had to submit a, a treatment and um, you know pitch sort of your thing but all on paper essentially Mm -hmm. and they liked mine because i was probably one of the only people who submitted from tasmania got to come up here um, work it out there's 12 of us originally Mm -hmm. and from that five of us were chosen to actually pursue you know the film actually make the films that we wanted to make And then it was – I think the the original plan was, yeah, to always make an anthology of these five films, 15-minute shorts. So
2: what – I'm curious, what was the original brief that it had to be in a horror genre and anything else? No,
1: just horror horror genre, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I think they wanted obviously a bit of diversity in the films and they all were, even the 12 that came out, there was, you know – the guy who actually is pursuing one of the films he didn't get through in this one, but like Killer Koalas and <laughs> like, um, gee, someone was going to do like a revenge story about um, where she walks around with her dad's head cut off still and stuff like it was full on. Like, I want to see that movie still, you know? No. Um, so yeah, from that we got, yeah, us, us five, Perrin, uh, myself, Liam, Cody and Bjorn. Um, Perrin and Bjorn had already gone through a process similar with um, Pitch Black and made their own respective short films, which were great. And now, uh, yeah, we've got these five weird uh, horror films that are all pretty different, yeah. Mm, cool. Um, and I heard in another
0: in another interview you did uh, where you talked about the kind of influence of your own upbringing mm. on this story. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Well, the this... Uh, film is set in a place, you know, I've called it Pendle Vale, but in all intents and purposes it's um, Vale and Rokeby, where I grew up in, in Hobart. It's a Hobart suburb. Um, it's like they're these blind spots, I guess, like because it's a pretty rough suburb and it's always notorious for being kind of rough. The only time you ever hear about them is in the newspaper. So, yeah, the story is about people who live in these areas and also, you know when I was a kid growing up, the thing that used to scare me the most was you'd hear these stories of, like, people who lived alone, people who lived by themselves are always pushed even more mar- marginalised. Like, in these communities, they're witches and they're, you know, that's what people used to say about them. And when I was a kid, it used to really scare me. You know, if a ball went into their yard, you'd never go there. And, like, yeah. because they're a witch, it's like, no way. But then I just thought, well, when I was writing this, I was like, imagine if it, like, you know, there really was a witch living in like a place like this, or and well, if you were like this kind of monster or whatever it was, what a better place, like the best place to live, really, because mm. you've already been you know pushed here into this area, you know. Yeah.
0: Mm. yeah, and um, what were kind of some of the influences in making this film?
1: Well, I guess it wasn't necessarily just horror films that influenced it. I, I love movies like um, Once Were Warriors, which um. Like tonally and like about that area, and also not just about um, you know class or anything like that. There, it's about connecting with your culture as well. Um, there's a big theme in that movie about that. It's like one of the biggest themes. It's about how people, are when they're lost, um, they they can become monsters like themselves. Like, and that's what this story is about. Like, um, so yeah, a film like Once Warriors, I'd look at that and. You know, you'd see you know, a character like um, Jake the Muss is like, you know, he's this horrible, violent guy and his family are constantly trying to find meaning and purpose through their culture, but he's refusing it, flat-out refusing it the whole time. Um, and that's sort of a, you know, subtly what I've tried to weave into my story, but with an actual monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, um, yeah, with um, young Joel Lee Everett who plays Isabella her character is, you know, is the one who suffers the most, really, and and they Shay's already been through it, and her daughter is different and has this weird power and gift, and if not taken care of, bad people can, can, you know, manipulate it mm. for their own benefit. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. And what I was curious about with this anthology was whether the filmmakers tried to approach it as just Indigenous filmmakers mm. making horror films or making horror films from an Indigenous perspective, if you know what I mean? Do you feel like this film uh, was influenced much by your Indigenous mm. background? I would say...
1: end of the day, I wanted to make just a, a cool film right Mm. but you can't tell a story without I mean a story about without inherently like who you are as a Mm. person I am an Aboriginal man so Mm. and this initiative Mm. (laughs) is to tell Aboriginal stories Mm. so yeah I have to I have to tell a story that is about that there's nothing you know substantial like I think in the film like you'd you'd watch it and probably say well these are two Aboriginal women you know um, and you know there's a shell bracelet and Your character says, um, I haven't got anything Mm. that's Aboriginal. You know, these are elements that sort of just creep up throughout the film. So, yeah, it is. It it has to be, like, for me, yeah, Mm. Aboriginal story.
2: My character, I mean, I'm not an Aboriginal woman. I'm a... Italian, Australian, I'm a migrant, I guess, to as most of us are in Australia. But that's what resonated me playing one of the only non Aboriginal mm. characters in the story was almost, I guess, what a sign of colonialism she was when she shows all yeah. her bits and pieces yeah. um, off. And also, you know, it's just kind of like, I like that, that's mine. Mm. And I did, I struggled mm. with that, obviously, because, you know, you have to look at your place in history when you're playing a character like that. I mean, I think all of us, to an extent, I know I certainly felt really uncomfortable with that because it's like, well, that's largely what, you know, um, colonisers have done. Mm. We like this bit, we'll take that, and we don't like that, so we'll eradicate it. (laughs) And, you Mm. know, there was definitely, to me, as a reading the script and then being in it, that was very powerful to me. It came across... um, and I will um, say, Sa- that was
1: Sarah plays amazing monsters and scary things, but you don't have to anymore if you don't want to.
2: Um, I, I'm lucky. I think the older yeah. I get, I get more of a weird array of things offered me, yeah, and I cool. mean, why would you not want to push yourself to extremes? Yeah. yeah, definitely made me do that, mm, <laughs> which was well. fun. Yeah.
0: When she said the line about. Um, When she was showing off her souvenirs from all around the world Mm. and said, I haven't got anything from Australia yet. It was almost kind of darkly humorous because I found like something consistent through almost all the short films is Mm. the often it seemed like the monster was colonialism.
1: Oh, yeah. In a lot of the short films. It's a great way of putting it, man. Yeah. yeah. Right? Well, I mean, the thing is that all the films... We haven't seen each other's films yet. Really? Yeah, yeah. Really? So we're seeing them tomorrow night. So we're going to, like, be going, what's this thread? What's this thing? Like, yeah. you know, so that's really cool that you said that. I'm happy that that's something that's, yeah, resonated with them all. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um. Because, yeah, it is, like, it's there every day. It's right mm. in your face. And it's... I mean, look at Jordan Peele's films and they're going to, you know... Equate, no, but I, we're always going to be like equated to him, I think, because mm. that move uh, Get Out just came out when we started shock treatment and oh, we'd yeah. all just seen it. Yeah. So we had this energy coming out mm. of seeing that. Like, we got to make like movies that like, tell stories that haven't been told. Mm. And the elements of mine that haven't been told uh, well, one, you wouldn't see a place like Clarendonville on, you know, normally portrayed in a drama a lot of the time in Australia. They show some rough areas, but they're not necessarily like... Especially in Tasmania, that place, you know, housing suburbs down there rarely shown. And when they are, they tend to be like comedy vehicles, like, you know, um, house and stuff like that. So to actually see the, you know, an element of the people who actually live there, who are pushed right to the fringe, that for me, and also these two Aboriginal women, like that to me, that's like they've been pushed right to the brink by colonialism like mm. that is the big monster right in the yeah everywhere yeah mm-hmm. yeah not in the corner
0: yeah mm. so there was no kind of a crossover or communication between the different productions um
1: no not really the the there's the only under the only thing is it's Aboriginal filmmakers, horror. Mm. Like mm. that's that was the brief we'd basically been given.
2: But the same producer. Same producer, so same producer,
1: yeah. And but the
2: teams, some of the teams had a little bit of crossover, didn't they, in terms of the camera departments and things like that? Yeah, so there, oh, sorry, oh, okay. there are
1: crossovers there, but no no story elements. Yeah, crossover, no. So there yeah. would,
2: have, would have been a, an, an awareness whether like superficially or more overtly that yeah. they were creating something that will become a whole but Mm. not really like you're saying they weren't ever designed in the way that the communication Mm. was to make the stories fit or anything were they No,
0: no no i find it interesting that they had the same producer because it makes me wonder whether the producer knew what was happening on all of them and was kind of
1: like I oh, totally because well, yeah. well I just ran into Marjorie earlier because he just did an interview somewhere else but he was he was just like so because he loves it he loves this process I know him mm. like he loves just cinema and films and making stuff mm. um so like when when I was talking to him he was giddy because like there's stuff in it that all the filmmakers haven't seen yet that's going to link it in places but mm. not like. Strongly, like you said, like pulling the strings and stuff. It's just the little cross-betweens and like, you know, it might be a graphic here and a graphic there that Mm. it's just all tying it together to make it a cool one big package, you know. Mm. Like I I just said the other day, it's like, you know, I've made one little piece of a bigger picture, really. Mm. That's what it is. Like Mm. you go in and feel this experience, right? That's what filmmaking is or viewing a film. So if you go in and see all these five different films, you come away feeling like... Whoa, like mm. I, I, overall, I feel pretty yeah shocked, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um I feel like I'm in a dark place
0: <laughs> you guys shared a bunch of heads of departments, including the sound designer Nigel christensen, yep yeah did you uh,
1: uh did you get to be involved in post production um, much y- at all yeah, we did we were, um we were right in amongst it mm. um sometimes like you know like there's things where you feel like you have a bit more influence and play over it's all briefs and emails a lot of the time because i'm in mean, tasmania and hobart you know you learn how to communicate as best you can through email and like yeah. you know you're making a movie through email through words yeah. still like by communicating your ideas then you get on the phone of course and have a chat and um i knew that sound was going to play a big part in veil Light because there aren't too many jump scares or anything like that mm. and they And um, it's a lot of you know, sense of dread is what Mm, I is mm, the brief mm, I gave, mm. and um, not just with uh, sound design, but with the score as well. Um, I just said it it needs to sound like there's an energy outside of the room, whatever wherever they are, and in the last moments, um, you know, when the the film hits the crescendo, it has to be loud it has to be mm. right there in the room with them yeah. so there's always that sense of dread circling the outside that's all that's what i wrote as flowery mm. and poetic as i could put <laughs> it and if uh, a yeah. sound designer or a composer can make sense of that then hopefully uh, I'm, I, I was happy like they were the elements of the film where uh, i didn't have too much input afterwards you know like i gave yeah. my brief listened to it and yep yeah, love it let's mm. go with it you know mm. um we did do a final sound mix uh, like nearly two months. Oh, geez, am I giving stuff away? I oh, no, know, two months ago now. <laughs> so everything was just like coming together right then and there. But mm. sat down with um, our film mentors, our director mentors, Colin and Cameron Cairns, who did um, 100 Bloody Acres a few years ago. Excellent guys, awesome to have around on set. Just mm. wealth of knowledge when it comes to filmmaking and all these parts that you don't even think about as a first-time filmmaker. They were in the room with me as well as Marjorie and Kelrick Martin from ABC and uh, I think Penny Smallercomb was there from uh, Screen Australia. So we're all there watching the film and we watched it and it had like a sound mix through it and, you know, there were just parts where I'd go, okay, uh, can we just go back? And like there's this bit where, you know, the door closes, but it just that the music or this, this sound doesn't hit the right point. So you got to go back and get the details with the sound designer who's been sitting there yeah. forever and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, because they've been so close to it. Mm. This is their first audience, mm. you know, and we're the guys who made the film leading up to that. So it's a lot of back and forth, back mm. and forth of watching it again and, you know, if you're too close to something, you can't see the bigger picture. So this guy was so close to, to the sound mixy he was just like, I just had to put it there and then have, you know, five people in his ear say, oh, what happens if we go back? Uh, Is that burp too loud in the party scene? Like, that was one note that was actually there. There was this big, loud burp in the party (laughs) scene. I was just like, I hate that burp. (laughs) And it's in the film still, so... I, yeah. know, I got I got told that burp had to stay. Yeah. So it, this was your first
0: uh short with a substantial budget, yeah. right? Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean zero to whatever the money amount was, yeah. Was
0: it a bit of a learning curve in oh, terms yeah. of um people on a low budget film often don't have those smaller roles like sound designer. They'll yeah. you know, they'll get the editor to, to do the sound design. Everyone's or something. doing a bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um D-
1: and I, I love that, mm. like the, those aspects of filmmaking. And I'm, the next thing I make will be that level again. You know, you go mm. up and you go down again to make something. Um, with this thing, it was it was the deep end because you get the brief from from your producer or whoever it is, the higher ups. They say, look, when you're directing this, you're working with the actors. Mm. You're working. You're working. Talking to the cinematographer. And you're sitting at the split with continuity. That's what you're doing on set, right? I've already written the film. I've mm. already written the, you know, everything got a Um mm. But it's not just that. Like you get that brief, of course, but you got you, you're listening to everything. You're trying to at least, mm. and it's it can be hard to. That's what I was trying to. I was struggling with because you're hearing everyone's problems and and stuff on set. But overall. I felt like uh, it was like you said, like a, b- a big learning. It was an education in mm. how to make a film. You're learning a new language because everyone around you is more experienced in when you're at this stage, and I was just tra- taking it all in. Like you know, I was, it was sink or swim, and you know, I, I got I made it to the shore <laughs> somehow. It was no. a bit of mouth to mouth, but it was okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah no, I, I, I just everything I learned off that, like. Uh, yeah, it was the budget of the film is what you know an education would cost anyway in, in cinema, I think, or to learn this stuff. So I'm very grateful, like for everything I learned off. I learned off it. Mm. I'm going to take it into my next project, whatever that mm. is. Yeah.
0: Did you learn anything about how to collaborate with those roles that you hadn't previously had to work with before?
1: Yeah, and it, it's. A, I think it's about not just learning, like you know, <laughs> language of you know film and cinema and stuff because that's all fine you can be some people it's okay to be flowery like i was saying with the sound designers and composers because i don't have any experience with those things i can only speak in and they have to decipher that you know um but if i'm talking to like you know costume or or even editing say like these are things that i have some understanding of i wear clothes <laughs> <laughs> but uh with, with editing i've done a little bit of editing down at home so uh there I felt like I had a bit more say in what was going to, you know, happen in this scene and this transaction, transaction, transition here. I know editing, trust me. Um, (laughs) But uh, it was, yeah, I felt like a bit more confident. So it's just about, it's also the person who's doing it as well. So just Mm. trying to read the person and say, hey, look, how do we make this happen? And, you know, and it's, you know, conceding um, sometimes and really standing up for what you want. You just got to find your balance all of the time. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, um, what
0: is next then in terms of projects?
1: Um, I th- still got an itch to do horror again, mm. but I'm not entirely sure to be honest. Um, possibly, an- yeah, another horror film set in Tassie. Um, I, I don't live in Clarenceville anymore, so maybe I've got to <laughs> set it in like where I live in Moona. <laughs> yeah, I just want—I just really don't want to drive home late at night. I just want to just make films where I live, <laughs> like directly where I live in yeah, the suburb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's next, I think. Yeah, making mm. a film. Uh, I live right next to a train line, so maybe I'll make one about the old train line. Yeah, I was
2: wondering what would be the horror of Moona. I don't
1: know. Gentrification. I was about to say. (laughs) It's it's, It's gone through gentrification. Like it used to be one of the rougher suburbs and now there's all mm. the, you know, the hipster buildings rocking up and, you know, craft beers and breweries. Like a zombie
2: gentrification. That would be great. Well, let's write them down.
1: The rest of this podcast will be us just working it out. um yeah so yeah
2: we're taking over yep that was
1: that's next (laughs) the gentrification of luna
0: something i just thought of um when you answered that is so you're really into horror are you Mm -hmm. but your background is a lot in stand-up yeah yeah and comedy comedy, yeah. yeah so how how did you make that kind of transition or I don't know, maybe it's not a transition, I guess, you're still... Yeah,
1: well, I think any... like With comedy, what I realised when I was... I was just going up and saying stuff, like, when I first started out, I'd write it down, you know, half-ass it a little bit and get laughed still, but then when I started really working out why I was making people laugh, um, every comedy book will just, you know, mostly they'll tell you... And that's what I was doing, I was reading comedy books, like, oh, well, okay, maybe I got lucky those first few gigs... So, I've got to reverse engineer my jokes so I can work out how to write it and do it again and better. Mm. Most of them will tell you that a setup to a joke isn't funny. You know, the thing that you turn, the turn of it's funny. Mm. So, when you start taking away elements of like when, it, when anything that you say, like I do jokes about really dark stuff sometimes and horrible things in there, but the turn makes it funny. Mm. With horror and with drama, drama and stuff, like, it just keeps pushing it, whereas comedy is a diffuser. Like, mm. you know, we saw Hannah Gatsby*'s um, mm. Nanette. She, she talks about, well, why we do comedy and what comedy is and stuff. Like, it's always a diffuser to a, to bad stuff in life. Mm. And that's okay. That Sometimes that can help people process stuff. But a lot of the time it's used there to, you know, to cut things off or to end a conversation on something. Whereas I think horror when it, you know, depending on what you love and the elements of it, social commentary kind of horror that Get Out was talking about, that can push the envelope to a point, And it still has comedic elements in it. Like mm. There's always still funny parts mm. in it, you know. But the, they keep, keep um, the story going to a point where it's, you know, the illogical conclusion sometimes. So, like, you're like, what? They went there, they took their brains out and, you know, like it, it's nuts, a tightened reality. And in a way it is funny. It's a turn. Mm. But it's not funny to us. We're not laughing because it's still horrific. Mm. That's that's what I think the, the change from comedy to horror came is that I wasn't getting tired of doing comedy. I love comedy. I still want to make people laugh. Mm. But then to them, I want to tell stories that need to be told and sometimes to do that you've got to just keep going. Keep pressing yeah. and not
2: let people off the hook too early. Exactly. Mm. We've yep. talked mm. about that, haven't we? Yep. That's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, you see quite a lot of crossover with comedians and who do work in other oh, quite yeah. dark yeah, Jordan areas. Peel, I guess. Jordan Peel, Jordan Peel was doing sketch and- comedy, and yeah. Yeah, some of mm-hmm.
1: my favourite sketches are from him. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. Oh, I'm just thinking about some of his sketches now; they're great, and they actually have sort of one of them has like a horror element in them. It's very funny. It's like this guy who they're sitting there, and this guy's telling a funny story and I just watched the sketch. I'm not going to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to see that. Yeah, I'll show it to you later. <laughs> so you say you
0: want to tell stories that need to be told. Mm. Is that is it important to you to tell stories from kind of personal experience? or?
1: Yeah, I think, well, one, it's, you know, to help yourself, yeah. <laughs> which everyone is doing, right? But uh, part of that's also just to, um, yeah, to... Help make help other people a lot of the time like that's what stories are there for like any time you've told a story to a kid that has like a moral or or some sort in it like you know the little girl who cried wolf it's to say don't like make up fibs otherwise people won't believe you at the same time so when you start going a bit you know if if you can just tell that story that'd be great just tell Mm -hmm. that story again over and over so we just yeah that's the stories need to be told Actually, have been repeated a lot of the time. So they have mm. to be told again and again and again, just in different ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, Rob and Sarah, thank you so much hey, no for Thanks taking for the time.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks, Albert. If you want to watch Dark Place, um, it'll be screening for Sydney Film Festival this Saturday and Sunday, the fifteenth and sixteenth of June. Head to the Sydney Film Festival website to find tickets and more information. Uh, Thanks again to Sarah and Rob for being interviewed and to Sydney Film Festival for their support. Have a good one, guys.